0: Fight in the door. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus Sources edition. This is the BBOC podcast that ties Big J journalism to Big Bets. My co-host, the award-winning, news-breaking Action Network's own Brett McMurphy. First reported by our own Brett McMurphy.
1: Brett McMurphy is Sources.
0: I am Action Network senior writer Colin Wilson, a guy that took a action under on Akron this week. You can check the Action app and make fun of me like a few people did on my timeline for taking unders last week. But before we kick things off here, a quick reminder to check out our bonus college basketball betting episodes every Wednesday morning. They're led by the three-man weave crew, and they're a great way to tide any college hoops fan over until the BBOC goes full-time basketball betting coverage around the holidays. All right. Brett, there is so much news. Like, we're not even going to have a source of speed round because the entire podcast might be a speed round of questions. Is there anything that really you wanted to lead off with?
1: I think Cincinnati proved that they do not deserve to be in the college football playoff unless there are a number of two-loss teams. And we could even make the argument that a two-loss team may be more deserving than a Cincinnati team that can't put away teams like Tulsa and Navy. We can talk about the playoff later. In Central Florida,
0: but the, the version of them that went undefeated, that's a better team than this Cincinnati team, right? What
1: would your numbers say?
0: My numbers would have made Central Florida a two-point favorite.
1: Last year's Cincinnati team would be favored over this year's Cincinnati team.
0: Last year's Cincinnati team would be six-point favorites over this version. Maybe they got shafted, but at the same time, the committee probably feels a little validated that this team can't cover a damn game. I think they're donezo, right? You think they're donezo even if they go undefeated? I mean, you can't cover a game. You look terrible.
1: Look, it's not that simple. If, it, if Alabama has two losses, if Oklahoma has two losses, if the Big Ten champ has two losses, if the Pac-12 champ has two losses, you got to put somebody in there. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that simple. And SMU losing doesn't help Cincinnati. Like we said last week, Cincinnati does not control their own fate. They're going to need a lot of help. Let's
0: go ahead and get into some news this week, Brett. We have a ton to discuss that's going on off the field. And if you're a kind of a person that likes to handicap based on the numbers and and uh, you like to pay attention to spreadsheets, it's this time of the season where you have to start looking at motivation. Teams that are on six losses are desperate for a win to get to a bowl season. There are coaches trying to save their jobs right now. Then again, there could be a team that overachieves, gets to seven wins and they can cruise for a couple of weeks. So, Let's start off with the Jimmy Lake suspension, this guy. And I felt so bad being bipartisan between you and Stucky with this Washington, Oregon bet the other night, it was clear there. I, I said, there's a coaching discrepancy here from the offensive side of the ball. Oregon is much more well-coached. Uh, and now we see the whole Jimmy Lake suspension for hitting linebacker, uh, Rupert Fuave uh, in the face mask. I think this has, hap- this has happened in college football before, but Is this suspension to calm the outraged people or is Jimmy Lake toast?
1: The sources that I talked to, I wouldn't I don't know if you could say he's toast yet, but it appears from what I'm being told that Jimmy Lake has very few allies and has not accepted any responsibility for all of the stuff that went on. Washington A.D. Jennifer Cohen put out a a statement after the game Saturday night saying that they were going to look into and investigate what happened on the sideline. And then today they announced the one game suspension. I'm basically told that there is real concern with people that matter at Washington that recruiting is the worst it's ever been. They're actually afraid that the program could slip back into the Willingham days. There's empty seats. The boosters are fed up. Not just the small boot, the boosters that matter. So, you know, is this the first, you know, first shot, if you will, to start the the process as far as getting rid of Jimmy Lake? I think that's to be determined, but certainly he does not have much margin, if any margin of error the rest of the way. And we'll have to see how this plays out.
0: And subsequently today, offensive coordinator John Donovan, somebody that has been uh in the crosshairs of the big bets on campus podcast ever since the summer about his play calling. He was fired today is, is Jimmy. Lake- <laughs> he
1: should, whoever, whoever decided to punt when, you know, no. late in the game when you're down, well, you're down eight and you punt, you know, you're not going to get the ball back and then it's a safety. It was comical, but yeah, whoever's decision that was, I, I look, I don't want anyone to lose their job. But you're down eight and you're punting. You're basically saying we've given up on the game. If yeah. you don't make the first down, the game's over. Fine. Why punt? You know, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, that entire game was an offensive struggle. Even that halftime, there was uh, the, the refs had interrupted every single play. Thank you, Pac-12 refs, for making it the longest half ever.
1: Let's hear it for those Pac-12 referees
0: and the offensive disruption is just is one of the worst offense I've ever seen. I don't care. It's a downpour. You're a rushing team. You should have been able to run the ball like Oregon did. I should be interested to see where Jimmy Lake goes from here. If he survives the off season, he's he's probably got to get some wins, got to win the apple cup. Uh, He's just not Chris Peterson esque. Right. And that's probably what the fan base and the alum is used to when you don't have Willingham anymore and you get into Chris Peterson era and you get this level of play and recruiting, you expect that. And when you don't get it, you know, that's, that's going to be problems. Let's, move over to another coach that you and I thought was going to be happy trails. And it turns out Trev Alberts has different feelings about that. Scott Frost, an extension for incremental progress uh, (laughs) is what was cited by Trev Alberts. Now, first off, there's no details of this contract, but before you and I hit the record button, I believe the entire offensive staff was annihilated. Eric Mm -hmm. Schnander still there. Defensive coordinator came in from UCF with him. Scott Frost is going to be looking for his own little Joe Moorhead coming up here in the off season. Does incremental progress, when, when Trev Albert says that, does he mean does he mean thank you for covering the spreads? I mean, is that what he's essentially saying? Like you're making our boosters money.
1: Believe me, he's not saying that. What he's saying is it's a $20 million buyout if we get rid of Scott Frost. And realistically, who is Nebraska gonna hire right now? I mean, I couldn't come up with a name right now that's like this is a home run hire. Scott Frost was the home run hire but he's been striking out. He's 15 and 27. He's the first coach in 60 years in Nebraska's storied history to have four consecutive losing seasons. He's only the second coach ever in their history to have four consecutive losing seasons. Since Tom Osborne stepped down, they've had Frank Solich, Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, Mike Riley, some good, some bad in there. None of those guys were as bad as Scott Frost has been for whatever reason. And I thought it was a great, great hire for whatever reason. It's not working out there. And you're right. He fired four assistants today, including offensive coordinator, Matt Lubick. And it's basically like, okay, you're going to give me another year. The contract will be restructured. Probably the buyout will be reduced greatly the money likely will probably stay the same. It's probably the buyout that they'll work on. That That's public information that'll come out at some point down the road. But he leads the NCAA in most one-possession losses in the last four years. They, they had lost all five games by eight points or less until they lost to Ohio State by more than eight. So, I you know, I don't want to say that's progress, but they play good. They're just, again, when we did the Big Bets on Campus show on Saturday a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was Michigan, Nebraska. I said, look, Nebraska's going to do what Nebraska does under Scott Frost, and that is play good enough to lose by three or six points. And sure enough, that's what happened. So I think next year there has to be drastic improvement or they will make a change. But I think basically it boiled down to Trev Alberts realizing, look, you know, they've got 20 million, but they don't want to light 20 million on fire. And also they have been competitive. They'll give him one more year to change those games around. And you you know, like I do, most of the time, teams have close losses or, or turnovers that go against them one year. The next year, that stuff seems to even out, which you have to even out for Scott Frost. We'll have to see if that happens next year, but he will be back in 2022.
0: Yeah, consistently penalties are a problem. Special teams are a problem. And then if you're investing – In Nebraska football, you are hoping for a clean box score from Adrian Martinez. There's two big things that Scott Frost has got going on here. He's got to hire an offensive staff, and he's got to go to the transfer portal and get a quarterback because I have to believe that if we're right back here next year and Nebraska is not bowl eligible – Dunzo,
1: right? Get minimum. He's got to get get to a bowl. There are sure there'll be plenty of people in the transfer portal. Who knows? Maybe Spencer Rattler. I heard <laughs> I heard the Arizona State fans were were chanting uh during the USC game, we want Rattler, we want Rattler. So uh, you know, if he does enter the transfer portal, he obviously would be an option for a number of teams. But you're right, Nebraska's got to find somebody a quarterback and just whatever reason they're not winning these games, they've got to figure that out. And Frost has one more year to do that.
0: Can you uh, charge more for your signature in Tempe or Lincoln? I guess we'll find out when Spencer Rattler <laughs> makes a decision where he's going to go. Let's get to know Joey Show-Me-The-Money McGuire at Texas Tech. This came out of left field. Uh-huh. Baylor associate head coach in his fifth season. He's also the outside linebackers coach. Joey McGuire is now going to be the head coach at Texas Tech. Uh, he has a long, legendary history with uh, Cedar Hill High School he won three titles in 14 seasons. This kind of reminds me a lot of the Chad Morris hire by Arkansas because essentially Brett Bielema burned down the recruiting pipeline to the state of Texas said, "Nah, we can go to Florida and get some guys. Not that Texas Tech is in that same boat, that maybe the recruiting pipeline isn't strong in the state of Texas, but you went and got somebody that knows every street corner of that state uh, and has obviously proven to do well at Baylor through coaching changes, uh, you know, even being the associate head coach. So, Brett, I'm a little interested why you're going you're Texas Tech and you have an identity and you're going out to get an outside linebackers coach.
1: Because you, you summed it up because of his knowledge of the state of Texas and how well-respected he is in the state of Texas. I mean, if you're Texas Tech you're in, and you're in Lubbock, Texas, and I've been to Lubbock, Texas, I've covered games in Lubbock, Texas, I worked two years in Odessa, Texas, which is – probably the closest city to Odessa, which is in the middle of nowhere, and I say that lovingly, um, you've, you've got to recruit guys in the state to come there. You're not going to get kids to come from all over the country to come to Lubbock. You've got to hit the state of Texas, and Texas is, I don't know, top of my head, 12, 13 FBS schools in the state. So there's a lot of competition there. I think basically it boiled down to Jeff Traylor of UTSA and Sonny Dykes of SMU were at the top, of Texas Tech's wish list. Trailer got the extension to stay at UTSA. TCU job opens up, and then it became pretty well known that Sonny Dykes would prefer TCU over Texas Tech. And so at that point, Kirby Hoka, Texas Tech's AD, went and got Joey McGuire. Again, very well-respected, not a big name, but people within the state of Texas know him. And you know, look, you can win the press conference and all that garbage. Bottom line is, if he wins, people are gonna love to hire. And if he doesn't win, they're going to say, you know, why'd you hire this guy who was a linebacker coach at Baylor? So I actually have no issues with it. I think it's for Texas Tech, the unique situation you're in. I kind of like the hire. You're not going to bring back Mike Leach. People, you know, speculated about that. That's simply not going to happen. What's kind of fascinating is McGuire leaves Baylor like he's gone, like he's already gone. He's at Texas Tech. Now he won't coach at Texas Tech this year, but he has left the Baylor staff. Oh, by the way, Baylor has a pretty big game Saturday against Oklahoma. So how will that impact the Bears?
0: Yeah, big. What's interesting is a lot of people that grade these coaching hires, you have to reset the way you think about this because when Sam Pittman was hired by Arkansas from Houston, I mean Houston's AD, Hunter Yurchek, came up, took over the AD position at Arkansas. Essentially, Sam Pittman was maybe eighth choice. Uh, I know there was talk of Lane, there was all kinds of wild rumors oh, yeah. and speculation. And we landed on Sam Pittman, who they he was told you're going to get a huge budget for assistance and we need you to play the CEO role and go out there and do what you do best, which is recruit. Now we look at Joey McGuire, who can be asked who will be asked to go out and recruit. We'll see what kind of budget he gets that Kirby Holcomb gives him for the budget he gets for his assistance. But maybe he's asked to play a CEO type role as a associate head coach role that he has at Baylor. So I think these people that grade and give F's based on prior history and stuff, I think that's old school thinking. This new line of go get me a CEO and then pay your assistants more is sort of the new way to have head coaches. So we'll see. I'll I'll keep my eyes on Texas Tech and hopefully the assistants are what make the decision on when we do our win total bets for next year.
1: There's no way anyone can say with 100 percent certainty this guy is going to be a tremendous hire or this guy isn't going to make it when they're hired because we we don't know.
0: Yeah, in my opinion, if you're not able to go out and get a Jimbo Sabin, one of these kinds of types, the whole CEO Pitman way, and then paying your assistants to run the offensive and defensive coordinator to run that, and let your head coach be the head recruiter, I, I, it's it's worked for Arkansas. It can work for Texas Tech. It can work. Right. For Let's talk about Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State to the MAC. Everybody's realigning. We got James Madison coming up at the FBS. We got some teams that are coming up to play. And I've now got to change everything that I've got coded for 130 teams. (laughs) In the pandemic, we only had 127. Now I've got to go higher than 130. But the big news is Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State to the MAC. but Middle Tennessee has money concerns. Is there anything more to the story? Do we think it's going to happen?
1: Yeah, I, re- I reported that um, earlier on Monday. So I guess when you, people are going to hear this, is going to be Tuesday. I don't expect a decision to be made by Tuesday. It possibly could happen by the end of the week, but it basically boils down to this. The MAC wanted to add two more schools, Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky, were the most obvious teams available from the remaining teams in Conference USA. Western Kentucky, is sources have told me, are 1,000% behind this move. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth. Oh,
0: no. Oh, no. Hell, no, boy. man! Y'all ain't up and done it. Oh, no. Oh, hell, no, boy. Y'all up and
1: done Middle Tennessee, not so much. Middle Tennessee's concern is that they do not have a lot of money right now. They've got to pay an exit fee if they leave Conference USA. They have to pay an entrance fee to go to the MAC. So there's some concern with Middle Tennessee there. What I'm told is it's very unlikely if Middle Tennessee won't make the move that the MAC would only invite Western Kentucky. They want both of them or none of them. Look, I don't have a dog in this fight. I absolutely do not care what happens. But for me, looking at the teams that have le- left Conference USA, if you have a chance to go to the MAC, you're going to arguably the only conference out there that is not going to be impacted by realignment in the next 20 years. And I say this as a compliment. There are no teams in the MAC that the Big Ten is going to come after, that the SEC, the Big 12, you, whatever, the American's going to come after. They are a tight-knit group. It's geography-wise based. So I was texting with somebody today about it and I said, you know, a thousand years from now when the world ends, the only things that will survive will be cockroaches and the Mac because they're not going anywhere. And that's a compliment. I'm not dissing them. They have an ESPN TV deal. Yes. You've heard you've heard of Maxion, right? How beautiful is Maxion? How beautiful is Maxion? Oh, man. Just when we thought we had peak Maxion. So where's Conference USA I'm not talking about next year. I'm talking about in five years or 10 years. There may not be a conference USA. You're in Las Cruces, New Mexico. You're in El Paso, Texas. You're in Miami, Florida. Sam Houston is in Jacksonville State in Alabama. You're all over the map. What kind of TV deal are you going to get? So if I was king for the day at Middle Tennessee, it's a no-brainer to me. You find a way to raise the money to make the money work because this is a 20-year decision. This is not a one year decision. This is not a two year decision. And if you struggle a little bit in the next year or two financially over the next 20 years, you're going to be made whole more than you are staying in Conference USA in a conference that, again, is at the mercy of any more realignment moves. Teams are going to get picked from that league to go somewhere else where that MAC core is not going anywhere.
0: I just want the Western Kentucky offense and the Mac desperately. Uh, desperately on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I
1: know. Exactly. How many years does Bailey Zappi have left? Bailey Zappi. I mean, it may get to the point where the Mac says, okay, if there is an FCS school that, that's, that works, let's add them in Western Kentucky. A lot of people I've talked to throughout college athletics is actually surprised that Middle Tennessee has not pulled the trigger on that. I'm told maybe by the end of this week, we will have a decision either way more musical chairs as far as conference realignment.
0: Come on, Murfreesboro, get it together. All right, Brett, let's switch over to our favorite uh, coordinator who's no longer a coordinator. Todd Grantham is no longer employed. You and I are employed. <laughs> Todd Grantham is not. Anthony Richardson, yeah. like, twisted his knee dancing on Friday, and that's after? Oh, I mean, what is going on? Is Dan Mullen going to the NFL? There is a report floating out there that if an NFL job opens up, he would consider it.
1: Let's rephrase that report. Rick Neuheisel of SiriusXM, I love Rick, but he basically was saying, you know, look, he knows Dan, he respects Dan, and if Dan gets an offer from the NFL, he thinks he would take it because he's he's tired of, of this, meaning he's tired of what's going on in Florida. That is not, I would not constitute that as a, quote, report that Mullen hasn't offered go to the NFL. Right. Um, If he if he does get an offer to go to the NFL, I'm sure he would accept it. Uh, You know, if you had an offer to, you know, triple your salary or double your salary or whatever, I'm sure you would you would do the same thing. No offense, Chad, don't hold it against (laughs) us. The thing that's the thing that's really, you know, what we said last week is, okay. you're four and four. You just lost to Georgia. You just went out. You survived this year. And then. Regroup next year. So what happens? They look horrible against South Carolina. Yes, there was a flu outbreak, but still, you give up forty points to South Carolina. Right. I mean, Shane Beamer is, is <laughs> his expression when he's doing the halftime interview is, "I've never really done one of these when we're winning at a halftime." You know, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, he was shocked. It's more than the way the Gators are playing; it's the way that Mullen is handling all this that's really irritating people at Florida. He shut down media access last week after the South Carolina game. No players were made available to the media. If you shut out the media, the media does one thing. They dig even deeper to find out what's going on. Just let these guys talk. It's not going to kill you, and it makes you look bad. Somebody sent out a tweet of Mullen before the game at South Carolina, walking walking up to the gate, and on both sides of him, the Florida band is playing the Florida fight song, Mullen's concentrating, walking straight ahead. After the game, reporter asked Mullen, how come the team didn't go over and sing the alma mater with the band over in the corner of the end zone, which is a Florida tradition like a lot of other schools? And Mullen said, oh, well, this was a road game. I didn't know the band was here. He literally walked through the band to get in the stadium before the game. So, again, is, is that enough that you need to get rid of this guy? No, it's not. But when these things continually come up, it just – it doesn't help matters. Another thing that really irks Florida fans, the worst Power 5 records, the last 10 games versus Power 5 opponents. Florida is 2-8. and eight. There are only three schools that are worse than Florida in their last 10 games against Power 5 opponents. That's Arizona, which is 1-9 after beating a COVID-stricken Cal team last week. 0-10 Kansas. 011 Vanderbilt, 2 and 8 Florida. That's the company Florida's in right now. So you add that with all the distractions about the not talking to the media and Anthony Richardson twisting his knee dancing. Is it Mullins' fault that Richardson twisted his knee? Absolutely not. It's bad luck. But you can't afford bad luck this time of year. And then getting sealed club by South Carolina doesn't help either.
0: Yeah, all that goodwill that you have winning the SEC East uh, with that amazing offense last year, it seems to be completely gone.
1: They took Alabama to the wire and that seems like that was a hundred years ago.
0: It seems so long ago. I was so proud of my BBOC. Yeah, I missed that. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously Samford plus 31 and a half, a best bet coming down the pipe against the Gators this weekend. You can check us out on Saturday, Brett, before we move on, who's the, uh, the we got so many candidates. I don't even know who's the dumpster fire
1: team of the week. It's It's gotta be Florida. I your whole team's got the flu. Fine, whatever. You can't. You can't lose this. You can't lose this. It's not that you can't lose to South Carolina. It's how you lost to South Carolina that makes it even worse. So, uh, Florida Gators, you are the the dumpster fire team of the week. I mean, I was talking earlier about the two and eight record against power five opponents. The last ten games, Florida State's even better than that. This is a program that aspires to win national championships, expects to win national championships. This will be a fascinating next next couple of weeks to see how this plays out.
0: All right, so Florida, your dumpster fire team of the week. I was a little had my hopes up a little bit that UMass firing uh, Walt <laughs> Bell was going to be the dumpster fire team of the week, but that team lives in a fireplace. So, all right, let's move into the Heisman handicap.
1: This is your Heisman handicap. The Heisman Trophy is awarded to.
0: So Brett, last week, you and I were talking about the Action Network Gambling Heisman Trophy. Uh, We present it annually from our Gambling Heisman Trust at the Action Network. Trevor Lawrence, Lynn Bowden Jr., Drew Plitt have been winners before. We mentioned a number of players last week. We can drop Kenneth Walker off of that. They did not cover. You have to cover games. So Matt Areza for San Diego State. These punts are some of the most unbelievable (laughs) things I've ever seen. Like, (laughs) I don't know what we have to do to get him in the conversation for the Heisman, but when you're booting 85, 90 yarders, I, I, and what's crazy is, is that one that I saw that was 90 yards, he was like one yard away from pinning it on the goal line. Like I, this kid is going to, going to have a long career in the NFL, but I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. UTSA absolutely blew out UTEP sincere McCormick at running back, Frank Harris at quarterback. Jeff trailer is a head coach. There's a lot of candidates here for the gambling yeah, I, I would
1: go. I would go with Meep me, meep. meep Meep. Yeah. For the, for the gambling Heisman with McCormick and Harris. Absolutely. They look like the class of Conference USA. Possibly, we hope, a rematch against Western Kentucky in the uh, CUSA title game. UTSA with McCormick and Harris would be my leaders in the clubhouse for the gambling Heisman trophy this year.
0: As far as the real Heisman is concerned, We didn't get a lot of movement this week. Wake Forest takes a loss. Sam Hartman down to 40 to one. Kenny Pickett still hanging around 25 to one. Matt Corral, uh, not a real exclusive game against Liberty. Didn't really expose them as the G5. Well, they're not even really G5, but as the defense that they are not being SEC level, he's still at plus 550. Kenneth Walker is still plus 280. I don't think you can win the Heisman if you don't win the Big Ten. C.J. Stroud still sitting at four to one. My opinion will win it if, if Ohio State wins the Big Ten. Questionable. We'll get into that here in a little bit.
1: Brett, are you still, you still hanging with Bryce Young over here with Alabama? You know, I am. I mean, he Alabama did not look good against LSU. You know, we've talked about uh, off air about how bad Alabama's offensive line was against LSU. But end of the day, Bryce Young throws for over 300 yards, no picks, two touchdowns, uh, you know, against a porous offensive line. You know, he's, he'll play, you know, maybe a half against New Mexico state. Then they've got Arkansas, then Auburn, then Georgia. So he's going to have the, he's going to have the primetime opportunities to continue to stay in the, in the limelight, which is huge with Walker. I mean, again, what I talked about before being a running back, I just think you've got to put up two or 300 yards a game. He had 23 carries for 146 yards against Purdue. But I don't know if that really stands out to people. People just look at, well, Michigan State lost to Purdue. Michigan State still has to play Ohio State. Michigan State still has to play Penn State. So he'll have a couple of opportunities there. But if Michigan State ends up 9-3, and three, I don't see any way Kenneth Walker can win this thing.
0: I think Kenneth Walker is the odd man out here. Uh, I was still back C.J. Stroud. I think they're the team that's going to win the Big Ten. For when I say Ohio State, Caleb Williams being listed at plus seven fifty off a of buy, maybe people are sleeping on Caleb Williams, but he will be the reason that Oklahoma makes the playoff. It definitely won't be the defense. But back to Bryce Young. This I, I, I feel terrible. I did the write up last week for Alabama, LSU. And I did not focus enough on the offensive line of Alabama, starting a brand new right tackle, uh, Damian George Jr., uh, constantly LSU was sending blitz uh, on that side, the right side of the offensive line. Bryce Young was constantly harassed, uh, pressure, sacks, everything in the works. And this is an LSU defensive line that's been rebuilt three times this season. So, you know, you're going to get New Mexico State here, but when John Ridgeway. And Trey Williams from Arkansas on the defensive line, you know, when that, that they get up against the Alabama offensive line, that's a problem. So, you know, Bryce Young has got to learn to slide. He's got to learn to get out of bounds. It's not his fault. Now I keep thinking about this, you know, I've been podcasting all year about how Bryce Young doesn't take shots downfield. He may not have the time that maybe that's why we're calling him, you know, captain Checkdown because he doesn't <laughs> have the time. He's got to throw it off to some of his weapons out in the flats. So You know, keep your eyes out on that. This is the whole reason. We're going to pivot into this. I am very, very bearish on Alabama's chances to win the national title. So that will lead us into our final segment. Let's talk about the playoff payoff.
1: The college football playoff payoff. Uh, Playoff? Don't talk about it. Playoff? You kidding me? Playoff?
0: All right, Brad. Georgia minus 110. I I did a piece. uh, It's going to be out uh, Tuesday morning for the Action Network. It's essentially saying follow the four commandments of the college football playoff as far as undefeated teams, one loss teams, two loss teams, G5 teams. And it's essentially a bracket and certain teams fall into brackets. Well, Georgia falls into two. They're absolutely going to make it if they win the SEC. They're absolutely going to make it if they lose the SEC championship. (laughs) So Georgia at minus 110, believe it or not, has value because they're going to be a 14 point favorite in that first game. And and so uh, I know that that sounds crazy, but if you look at Georgia's remaining schedule, three touchdown favorite against Tennessee, I got Georgia Tech. I, I, this minus one hundred and ten actually has value. You should buy that. Now, who else is on the list? Alabama plus three hundred and sixty. And I think we should start the conversation here. I don't know how they beat Georgia, and as a two loss team, a two loss team has never made the college football playoff. And a matter of fact, we should probably discuss Michigan because. Alabama got in as an at-large one loss, and if Michigan beats Ohio State and you know for for whatever reason maybe doesn't go to the to the Big Ten championship, I I can't predict what's going to happen here. But I think Michigan's lurking in the dark, and right now I have them projected as a five-point underdog to Ohio State in the season in the season finale. Now I know that they still have a big game against Penn State this weekend, but Michigan at sixty to one looks like opportunity to me.
1: It's definitely opportunity. I would be mean, 60 to one. That's a huge number. I would I would definitely take a shot at that. The thing that I would be weary of is you look at the history of that series with Jim Harbaugh and Michigan quite simply has not been competitive. Is this a different year? Maybe so. We'll see. Um, but yeah, 60 to one. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great play because you know, everything – and I agree, Georgia Georgia has a lot of value, but at minus 110, you know, how much are you going to have to put on Georgia to make it worth your while? Michigan, you don't have to put a lot down if you're 60-1. to one, If they get there, fine. If they don't, eh, it's okay. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that big of a wager. And then if Michigan can somehow, way get in the playoff, then certainly you have a way to hedge in that semifinal game when they open up with Georgia as a as a <laughs> as a two-touchdown underdog.
0: I mean, Georgia minus one ten, let's put it this way. There's no way that they're not in the college football playoff semifinal. And the only teams that will be less than nine point underdogs are Ohio State and Alabama. Alabama may not even be in it by the time we get to that semifinal. And there may not even be a rematch with Georgia. So you're planning on taking that Georgia minus one ten into the national championship game. And I got news for everybody. I don't care if Georgia loses a game in the SEC championship. They're not going to be underdogs to anybody in the national championship game. So to me, the minus one ten has value. That long shot on Michigan, though. I'm just seeing at-large bid. I'm seeing, you know, I mean, th- this is a very short projected spread against Ohio State. The one team I'm nervous about, and Brett, you have a future on them, is Oregon. I thought Oregon looked great against Washington, but going into Rice-Eccles and beating Kyle Whittingham twice. Yeah, going to be that's going to be tough.
1: Yeah, twice in three
0: weeks is, is hard, right?
1: That really concerns me, having Oregon to win the national title, knowing that they have to beat Utah twice, including once at it- at Utah, and then obviously, if they do do that, Utah has the revenge factor in the second matchup. So, if Oregon gets there, they they definitely deserve you know that opportunity. But man, I what would you so right now? Oregon at Utah, what's what's your projected line?
0: So on a neutral side right now, Oregon would be a half point favorite, and so they're going to go into to, to uh, Rice Eccles next week as about a two and a half point underdog, and and I think that's one of the more interesting things. People are probably going to be shocked to see Oregon as an underdog next week, but You know, the Oregon path is extremely tough. I'm rooting for it. Brett, for this week only, just this week, tomorrow (laughs) night, Tuesday night, is Oregon going to get up above Alabama in the number two slot?
1: I don't think so. I think it'll be Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State.
0: Now here comes the hard part. I'm going to slide Michigan up uh, from seven up there with that 20. Well, I
1: think they keep Michigan State ahead of Michigan. I don't see them jumping at OU over Michigan and Cincinnati, they didn't play a game. They didn't do anything. In theory, they would keep OU there. I think they would be one Georgia, two Alabama, three Oregon, four Ohio State, five Michigan State, six Michigan, seven Cincinnati, eight Oklahoma.
0: Oh, so the slide has already started. The Cincinnati I think so. Slide. I think
1: so. I'll tweet that out Tuesday before the show. I tweeted out, by the way, I tweeted out last week before the show my projected top seven. I had Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State. I nailed the top three. I whiffed on Oklahoma. I had Oklahoma four. They're obviously back at eight. But then I had Oregon, Ohio State, and Cincinnati all in the exact order of the committee. I do not see the committee changing. Cincinnati's not going to leapfrog Ohio State. They're not going to leapfrog Oregon. I think it's more likely that Michigan leapfrog Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So the slide is already going to start to happen. Uh, Be looking out for Brett's tweet tomorrow night during the college football playoff rankings. Of course we will have updated projected point spreads for the projected semifinal, but you know, I think Georgia minus minus one ten is holding value. You're going to take that to the national championship game. Long shot. Michigan is going to keep going up and to, I I think they're going to, I mean, I haven't deep dived the game yet. It's still Monday night when you and I are recording uh, and I believe Michigan has an advantage over Penn state here. Um, And if they survive this weekend, that 60 to one is going to be, completely gone. Uh, you know, Michigan State, they lost to Purdue, but that doesn't really change anything, right? I, I mean, they can still beat Ohio State, and they're still going to the Big Ten championship game. So nothing changed. You, you, you think Michigan State falls down outside of Ohio State, and then Ohio State and Michigan State, they'll cancel each other out. Whoever wins that game will be up in the top four.
1: Yeah, exactly. So no love for the Oklahoma State uh, coming coming in from double digits. Maybe they slip into the top 10 at some point will boil down to what it always boils down when we have any kind of successful season, whether it's going to be a very, very good season or not. And that is if the Cowboys can beat the Sooners, it's that simple. Are they going to move Bedlam again because of this? They, they
0: they went and moved Bedlam to the beginning of November because they didn't want Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to play each other on consecutive weeks in the Big 12 championship. That's obviously going to happen every year. Uh, but now this year, it's actually probably going to happen. So Could be back-to-back back weeks. Yeah. would they?
1: Move hey, that? Colin, there's no guarantee Oklahoma State will continue to play Oklahoma when OU goes to the SEC. That has not been determined. I reached out to the uh, school president at Oklahoma State and <laughs> – was not allowed an interview, if you will. Kind of hurt. I'm an alum and everything, but hey, whatever. To ask that specific question, but Oklahoma State has not made a determination. And I expect they will. They've got a couple of years to figure this out. Yeah. But there's a real chance that bye-bye to Bedlam, which would suck, but that's conference realignment.
0: They have to play each other every year. I can't even imagine those. OU
1: wants to. If they do play, it will be the first major rivalry between power five opponents that was continued after teams left conferences, Pitt, West Virginia ended Texas, Texas, A&M ended Kansas, Missouri ended. So yeah, Oklahoma and Oklahoma state would be the only one that will have survived if they continue to play once the Sooners head to the sec.
0: Yeah. Like Nebraska OU, that was discontinued. There's just a lot of them where this realignment has killed some of the traditions that you grow up. But as far as the playoff payoff, uh, I'm going to say Georgia minus 110, Michigan plus 60. That's going to be gone. They beat Penn State. That number is going to be whacked. Uh, Cincinnati 50 to one. Brett and I both agree that the slide is coming.
1: It's that's a good number for Cincinnati, but do you do you really believe Cincinnati could beat two teams in the playoff? Absolutely, not. and the, absolutely not. So if you want to get Cincinnati 50 to one and then hedge it, but then you're going to be you know you're going to have to be playing a money line on a team that's. A 17 point favorite i don't hate cincinnati i'm just ca- calling it as i see it cincinnati at this point would not be competitive in a college football playoff and i know the response is well let's put them in and see how it works out well what do you say to that maybe a team that's more deserving hey we're going to let cincinnati do it because the previous seven years we didn't have a group five and this year we want to make up for that uh, right. i just i don't buy it
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think even if Indiana was going to a bowl game and that would bolster the resume a little bit, I still don't think, I mean, Cincinnati, I said it, Cincinnati 2020 would be six point favorites over Cincinnati 2021. So this team does not deserve to be in the playoff, but everybody out there that I call the talking heads, have a good time talking about how the G5 is getting screwed. They're not. Uh, If anybody's getting screwed, it's UTSA, uh, who, by the way, lists at 501 to win the national championship, right? Go, go, go meet me. Save your money. That is going to do it. This has been Big Bets on Campus Sources Edition. Tomorrow afternoon, you can hear our group of five experts, Mike Ionello, Mike Calabrese, on our G5 Deep Dive episode. And late, late Thursday night, Stucky and I will return for our Week 11 betting preview all right here on the BBOC podcast. Brett has to get back to being ignored from his alumni on his phone. I have to get back to <laughs> I have to to get back to writing up all of these Maction previews uh, for Tuesday and Wednesday night. Thanks for joining me, Brett. We'll see everybody at the window.